0: welcome to lesson two of the awe of god study and this is going to be titled revealed as we are now first thing i want to do is set up the dwelling places of god on the earth it started out with a tabernacle and then it went to a temple that solomon built and then it went in the new testament to the heart of a man or woman who had given their lives to jesus christ now Let's go back to the Old Testament here, and we're going to go to Exodus 29, and God makes an amazing statement to the children of Israel. He said, I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. Then he says, I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. Now, notice his sons. So now we're going to move over to Leviticus chapter 10, and this is verse 1. Nadab and Abihu, (laughs) what names? (laughs) Aren't you glad your parents didn't name you Nadab or Abihu? Anyway, these are two of the four sons of Aaron and the Bible says they each took a censer and put fire in it and put incense on it and offered, now listen to this word, profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Now, the word profane is very interesting. It is defined to treat something sacred with irreverence. It means to treat what is holy as common. So in essence, what we've got is we've got these two young men who are authorized to come into the presence of God, but they come in with irreverence. Now listen to verse two. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. Now, the first thing I want to say is did God viciously attack them? No, Never, God is love. He doesn't have love, he is love. Here's the situation. I'm gonna give you an example that will probably illustrate what happened. People love to go to the beach and do what? Sunbathe, right? They get a nice tan, They rest. All right, the sun is 93 million miles from the earth. However, if you were to do the exact same thing, sunbathe, 10,000 miles from the sun, you would be burned up in a moment. So these guys, in essence, put themselves in harm's way by coming in with irreverence. Now, Moses then says, in verse 3, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me... Now, James, the apostle, says in James 4 eight, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So we're given the same invitation in the New Testament. God says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy and before all the people... I must be glorified. Now, let me say this. In Scripture, there are should-bes, and then there are must-bes. You are wise to heed the should-bes. You are a fool not to pay close attention to the must-bes. God says, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. So, what Moses just said to Aaron, now remember, this is Uncle Moses talking to Daddy Aaron here. The statement that he makes is a universal statement and in the eternal decree. What do I mean by that? Universal means it applies to every created being, whether human or angelic. Eternal, what it means is it's always been this way, and it's always gonna be this way. It is never gonna change. God says in Psalm 89, verse seven, God is to be greatly feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those who surround him. You will never find the Lord in an atmosphere where He's not held with the utmost of respect. That means when we come into His presence, we have to come with that awe, with that reverence, with that respect. Now, you're probably thinking, wait a minute, that's the Old Testament. We are New Testament believers. Well, let's bring it into the New Testament. Of course, we have a very similar statement made by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians uh, 6.16, For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, so now he's quoting what he said back in Exodus. He's repeating it. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So now let's move into the New Testament. The day of Pentecost has occurred. The church is beginning to grow. And we have this situation in Acts chapter 5 that needs to be talked about. Now, a lot of people don't understand what's happening in Acts chapter five because they don't read what preludes it in Acts chapter four. You have to realize Acts is just one book. Later on, the church put in the chapters and verses. So at the very end of Acts chapter four, we read this. Barnabas, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So now let's set this up here, okay? Cyprus, back in those days, was a very wealthy area. All right, it was an island that was rich in timber, in mining, in fruits, in vegetables, and olive oils. To own land in Cyprus, you had to be really wealthy. I'm going I'm to compare it to owning land today in Newport Beach or in Manhattan. This guy is really, really rich. He sells a plot of land. He brings it to the church service in Jerusalem, and he brings the entire amount for that land and lays it at Peter's feet. Now, the very next verse is Acts chapter 5. So, Acts chapter 5, verse 1 says, but. See, that, that, there's another reason. You never ever, as an author, I have never started a chapter with the word but. Okay? It's a continuing thought of what just happened. But, there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He, Ananias, brought part of the money to the apostles. Now, listen, here's your key. Claiming it was the full amount with his wife's consent, and he kept the rest. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. He died, just like Nadab and Abihu, he dies. Now listen to this statement in verse 11. So great fear came upon all the church. Now, let's set this up. Maybe in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. People thought they were like drunk men. Okay, so there's a lot of joy probably. The church is growing. There's a lot of peace and joy among the people. And then all of a sudden, this happens, and the Bible says great fear came upon the whole Church. Now, what was the sin here? It wasn't bringing the offering. Peter makes that clear. It was the fact that appearance was more important to Ananias than truth. Again, I'm gonna say it. Appearance was more important than truth. Hey, how did these guys ever think that God couldn't see them? But you know what's interesting? Adam and Eve, they believed they could hide from God after they sinned in the garden. If you look at the people of Israel, I'm gonna read you Ezekiel 9:9, they made the statement, the Lord doesn't see us. If you look at the leaders of Israel, this is what's amazing to me, this is the spiritual leaders of Israel. Son of man, have you seen what the leaders of Israel are doing with their idols in the dark rooms? They are saying, the Lord doesn't see us. So here's a really important truth. Our holy fear grows in our comprehension of God's glory, his greatness. The antithesis is also true. We will dumb down his greatness even to the point of human limitations the less we fear him. I mean, you can hide things from people. I can hide my motives from somebody. I can say things in the dark, in the shadows that people won't hear about. You can't do this with God. But the leaders and the people of Israel are actually thinking this. Ananias is thinking he can hide this from God. And that's what Peter's saying. How in the world did you do this? Now, hey, wait a minute, John. I know preachers have lied to. How come in my day they're not falling over dead? Because Peter walks out of this room and the shadow of Peter raises up the sick on the street. Man, you got to realize this is like Peter walking through a hospital and literally emptying the hospital just by walking down the hallways. That's how much power and glory was upon him. So you have to understand, God holds back his glory because the greater the glory, the swifter and the more eminent the judgment is. So we have to talk about this. The Bible makes the statement in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9 and 10. We will all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the key words here is revealed as we are. Every human being has three images. I want you to listen closely. We have our perceived image. That is the way people perceive us. We have our projected image. That is the way we wanna project ourselves for people to perceive us. And then we have our actual image. The actual image is how we'll be revealed at the judgment seat. We will be revealed as we are. Consider Jesus, okay? He is misunderstood by many. He's lied about. He is accused of being demon-possessed. He's accused of being a drunkard. He's accused of being a glutton. He's accused of being an unholy man who hangs out with sitters. He's accused of being a heretic. I mean, his own brothers. Listen to what his own brothers said. They said, go where your followers can see your miracles. They scoffed. You can't become a public figure if you hide like this If you can do such wonderful things, prove it to the world. See how his brothers, they were focused on the projective image, whereas Jesus, he's a totally different story. His actual image is totally different than the way many perceived him to be. He is the image of the invisible God. That is Colossians 1.15. God the Father said, This is my dearly beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And this image is what endured because he is now the expressed image of the Father. So while Jesus was on earth, if you really study it out, he shunned self-promotion and any efforts to build his own reputation. He avoided popularity, notoriety, or accolades, or the approval of men. When people wanted to promote him to be king, He pulled away. He's constantly telling people, oh, don't tell that you were healed. Just go to the priest and do what Moses commanded. He is never drawing attention to himself. When our perceived image, now this is really important, when our perceived image carries greater weight than our actual image, our reputation is what we're going to protect. Our efforts will be focused on appearances, titles, status, popularity, acceptance, reputation, and so forth because they will cover our shortcomings, right? But none of this is gonna be revealed at the judgment seat. Our status, our reputation, our popularity, no. We're gonna be revealed in our actual image. This is so important. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse five. Paul says, so don't make any judgments about anyone. Listen to this carefully. Don't make any judgments about anyone ahead of time before the lord returns for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives wow are you hearing this okay then god will give to each one whatever praises do now a lot of people discount this scripture they say oh that's the unbeliever's judgment the unbelievers are going to have their darkest secrets and their private motives revealed wait a minute The unbelievers are not getting any praise from God. Paul specifically says the darkest secrets are going to be revealed and our private motives, then each one's praise will be given by God. So he is obviously talking about the believer's judgment. Now, do you understand? You're going to be revealed as you are. This is why when Paul talks about the judgment seat, if you go read it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may give an account of the things that we did in our body, whether good or bad. The very next statement he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So the judgment seat keeps the holy fear of God burning in our heart so that we live out of our actual image, not our projected image. So holy fear absolutely keeps our motives and intentions in check, all right? If you look at Ananias and Sapphira's deadly trap, they were more interested in how they were perceived, not the truth in their inward parts. Now, let's just kind of imagine their downfall, all right? So let's say they got saved on the day of Pentecost or it was shortly thereafter. Maybe they were one of the 5,000 when Peter was entering the temple and 5,000 people gave their lives to the Lord. Now, the early church in Jerusalem, it's forming, right? So the leaders in Jerusalem are looking. Who is gifted by God to do what? That's what we leaders always do. When people come into our organizations, we realize God has put unique gifts on them, and we're looking for where are those giftings so that we can put them in those right spots. Well, the apostles are doing this. The gifts of administration in the early church, they're looking for the people with gifts, right? And I'm sure Ananias and Sapphira come in. They're excited to be saved. They're excited to be a part of the church, but the church is getting bigger. I mean, just on two different incidences, you got 3,000 people getting saved, then you got 5,000. I mean, there's at least 8,000 people in the church in Jerusalem. Now, their particular gift was probably the gift of giving. So, they're giving, and what comes with giving is attention. Is that bad? I don't think it is. Don't we give thanks for people that have the gift of serving? Don't we thank them for their serving? Don't we thank people for the gift of preaching? Don't we say thank you for that message, it really helped me? Don't we thank people for their gift of leadership? Don't we say thank you, your gift of leadership has really helped me grow? Why do we treat giving as it's like this taboo? No, the early church wasn't that way. If you look at Paul, Paul said that when you give your gifts to God and you do it in front of the church, the whole church gives thanksgiving to God. They were doing this in the open. People were bringing their gifts in the open. Jesus was addressing the Pharisees when he said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing because the Pharisees would blow trumpets before they gave a gift for the temple, okay? The apostles weren't doing that. They were doing this to encourage the church, to celebrate, to give thanks to God that such gifts were given to men that people could give. Well, what's Ananias and Sapphira's gift? It's giving. So you got to understand they're getting attention, and they're liking that attention. All right? Now let's let's walk this through. All of a sudden, maybe now I'm going I'm going I'm going to do a hypothetical. They start having a marital problem. And they get in an argument and this argument's not ending. Not just not just for a day. It goes into weeks. Right? But in order to project themselves as being godly when they go to church, man, they're holding hands, they're hugging, they're they're, they're projecting an image of being deeply in love. Until this day comes that this man comes and brings an offering that outdoes them. Now all the attention of this massive church turns to this guy from Cyprus. Wow, they are now seeing the attention is gone. So what are they doing? They're already in the mold, right? They're already in the mold of putting emphasis on their projected image, but now what are they doing? They are bringing an offering, thinking they can project an image in front of these people, hide their actual image from God, and what happens? The glory of God is so strong, they come in harm's way like Nadab and Abihu did. Hey, I'm going to make a statement here again. I said it earlier, I'm going to repeat it. The greater the level of God's manifested glory, the swifter the judgment. Now, if you look at today's church, today the glory of God is not so. We have not seen any pastors walk out of their church pulpits in my last 40 years of ministry. I've not seen any pastor walk through a hospital and empty it like Peter emptied the streets of Jerusalem. The glory and greatness of God was so strong upon Peter and they lied in the presence of that glory and they were instantly judged. Listen to what the apostle Paul says. This is 1 Timothy 5:24. He said, "The sins of some men are conspicuously openly evident to all eyes, going before them to the judgment seat and pronouncing their sentence in advance, but the sins of others appear later, following the offender to the bar of judgment and coming into view there." That's New Testament. What Paul is saying is some people's sins are going to be made evident before people now. Other people's sins are going to be made known before the judgment seat of Christ because they're going to be revealed as they are and they'll suffer loss. They won't be lost forever in the lake of fire because they've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. They've been saved by the grace of God. However, they will lose eternal rewards in which there will be tears and there will be regret. So... It is really good now to cry out for the fear of the Lord because the fear of the Lord, what it does, it keeps your motives and intentions in check so that you don't start leaning more on a projected image or putting great emphasis on your perceived image, but you actually live out of your real image that's gonna be revealed and is revealed right now before the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, this was a very serious lesson. I admit it, but let me tell you something. You know, when my parents warned me, it saved my life. When they taught me and enhanced my life, Paul said that every man is made perfect in Christ through warnings and teachings. Read it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. This has been more of a warning, but I would rather have the holy fear of God keeping my intentions in check so that I don't lean into my projected image rather than my actual image. This is why the fear of the Lord is such a treasure and such a gift. Again, it's been a really strong session, but we're gonna move into really delightful things as we move forward in our future lessons. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next lesson.
1: Hope you all enjoyed it. (laughs) Just wanna encourage you, encourage myself. Just, just, Just stay under the Holy Spirit's conviction, because I don't think any of us in the room can escape the soul-searching that just happened under the anointing of this teaching. It causes us to take inventory, and that's a good thing. I think it's a dangerous thing when we we just skip taking personal inventory, and we just just kind of go with the with the flow of life, and you know, you can either hope that you go deeper into God in your pursuit or, you know, hopefully not just wander aimlessly. And anyway, a lot of thoughts going through my head right now. <clears throat> One thing that it reminds me of when he's talking about the glory, uh, some really dear friends of ours, our actually our, our in-laws now that our daughter's married to their son, uh, Lancer and Julia. Lancer, um, dear friends, they, he had gone, this is probably 15 years ago or more, he had gone with uh, some men of the church of, that was a church in existence at the time in Gig Harbor and uh, they went to a conference where Randy Clark was ministering and I think it was in Texas or somewhere and he's, he told me that the presence of God when when they had an invitation to come up to the front to, to receive prayer he said that the presence of God was so thick that it was hard to breathe like he could feel the pressure in the in the atmosphere, and it was hard for him to breathe. I mean, that's that's scary. That's not scary like I'm going to stop breathing, but it's like, who is this God, who's so powerful? And as we as we go deeper into experiencing, um, getting revelation and knowledge of of how powerful he is, how how fierce he is and then we experience that step into that, it's, there's only one response. And well, I don't know what your response would be. Mine would just be to, to fall down before him. Anyway, so, I gotta be careful here. I'm gonna just start rambling. Are you gonna stay there are you gonna come? Oh, she's gonna take the easy road tonight. She's gonna <laughs> kick back and chill. Okay, well maybe I'll just sit down and we'll just read the, the screens together. I'll do the proper thing here and I'll stand. So Leviticus 10.3, some of this is gonna be repeats of what John was was reading in that message. By those who come near to me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. Leviticus 10.3. So we're gonna read a little story here and Adriana is going to be able to relate to this more than anyone in the room currently, although if you've had children, you'll definitely relate to this. So enjoy this little story that John put together. Children have several natural instincts that guide their behavior. For instance, they naturally mimic the people around them, unfortunately, especially those who are older than them. They also tend to hide when they're doing something they know is wrong. When a child snatches a cookie, he or she might duck behind a curtain or dive beneath a bed to eat it in a place that is secure. Totally makes me think of my sister earlier. Grandson's living at the house right now. I'm not going to deviate for, just for a second. She saw him dart underneath the dining table, and she saw in, her, in his hand he had the bottle of ranch dressing. <laughs> she dove down there. She's like, no, no, you don't. Anyway, so that, that just made me think of that. It's funny. <laughs> he's he's gonna turn two like in another month. So even when caught red-handed, <laughs> little, little Landon, he's a cute little bugger, young children will often cover their eyes to try to hide their face behind some object and get out of sight. In their underdeveloped minds, they believe that if they can't see the other person, then the other person can't see them. And if they can't be seen, they must be getting away with the thing that they know they're not supposed to be doing. guys have seen this before? Did it when you're a little kid, you might remember. You can't see me. So, it can be cute to watch kids act out of such silly assumptions. How can they not understand that we can see them? We we, We know what's going on, yet such thoughts lead to uncomfortable questions. We often have the same, excuse me, we often behave the same way with God, our Heavenly Father. We know God is omniscient and omnipresent, that he knows everything and exists everywhere. Even so, we engage in actions and attitudes that we know are contrary to his will. We sin. And we think we're getting away with that sin because God is not physically present to see it. Such a pattern is evidence that we lack holy fear. We lack not only the reverence and respect due to our Creator and Savior, but also the genuine trepidation we should feel in the presence of a righteous God who has told us that sin always carries consequences. Disrespect. Okay, so that was the end of the story. So, ponder the story. Just kind of put it, put it on the burner there off to the side. Here's our first question disrespect is a common occurrence in our culture. When do you remember being disrespected in a way that stands out? And how did you respond in that moment? We don't need to go around and, and have stories you know, about, about this, but just, just think about it. Think about the last time you were personally disrespected and how did you respond to it in that moment? I think the the goal would be, how did it make you feel when you were being disrespected? You guys all relate to this? Been disrespected recently? Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) I'm joking, joking. Okay, so we'll move on. Unfortunately, disrespecting God is also a common occurrence in our culture. So we're going to review the story from Leviticus chapter 10, 1 through 5. This is the same passage that John read in the video. So Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, "This is what the Lord spoke. This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy, in the sight of all people I will be honored." Aaron remained silent. Moses Summoned Mishael and Elzaphan, sons of Aaron. I'm doing my best with these. It's not too bad. Mishael, Elzephon. Sons of Aaron's uncles, Uziel. <laughs> Uziel. Okay, well, we can argue about the L part. But anyway. And, and said to them, come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them still in their tunics outside the camp as Moses ordered. So here we go. Question, what mistake did they make when it came to showing the proper respect of God? And why were they judged so severely? Who wants to go? Here we go you got a brave one.
2: Well, they didn't do it God's way. God expects us, just like Cain and Abel, with the sacrifices that they presented, you know, one is valid and one is not. And so that's just what happens when they're not showing the proper respect. So um, I think sometimes God takes people out when it has to do with the holiest... In front of all of the Jewish people, you know, because everybody can
1: see it, so it was an example. Wow. Okay, that's, so that's good.
2: bigger for all of the people to
1: see, and then Aaron. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know what others are thinking. Anybody? I think that pretty much summed it up, but someone might have some other perspective as well. Yay! Do you want to hold this? You want to be my (laughs) microphone man tonight? (laughs) I don't mind doing it, actually, if you want. That way you don't have to. Okay. Okay, well, that was good. Thanks for answering that. Yeah. There was a prescribed way to approach the Lord, and they kind of let it go out the window, didn't they? They just thought they would just do their own way of doing it and the attitude was wrong. Yeah. Okay, I just, these are sobering sobering passages, sobering themes that we're looking at here. And I, I think that's the intent is that we, it's like a splash of water on the face. You know, it's kind of wake us up a little bit. We got to realize, you know, we don't want to worship a God that we make in our own image. We need to worship the God who is revealed in the scriptures. And He is holy, and he is awesome. Okay, a similar story is found in the New Testament. So we're going to review the story of Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 4 through 511. So Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. Man, that was fast. No funeral. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she replied. That is the price. Peter said to her, Oh, my gosh. How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. No commentary. I'll be quiet. These are hard scriptures. I mean, especially that one. That's the New Testament. So you're like, was it a different God in the Old Testament than in the New? No, he's not a different God. Doesn't the blood of Jesus make it all safe to do whatever we want? Okay, so in the church today, what are some ways that we value the appearance of righteousness or spirituality more than the truth of those concepts? Ponder the question, let it soak in. We're talking about appearances versus the real virtues lived and walked out? What are some ways that we value the appearance of righteousness and spirituality? If no one's comfortable answering it, then just make up a story about someone else. (laughs) Give us a scenario. Brave one.
3: I think one of the, the ways that we value the appearance of righteousness, what it makes me think of is our language in the church, our Christianese, our, what we present as terms and values to get along with the culture even, how we adjust with where we live to keep ourselves safe, but giving a certain appearance of love, holiness, or tolerance. But we're not really understanding what the Lord has called us to. Are we really walking in the truth of what He says? Do we really have that boldness and that surety, like when He was talking earlier about not worrying about if you're popular or being, um, you know, popular, well liked, or you have a platform? Are you just willing to say what God said? Do you even know what He said? So the, that's what it, it makes me think of is the appearance. We have like we're giving the appearance that the church just is so cozy, hmm. it's just a happy place. Well there's joy in the Lord, but there's also this holiness and all these other factors. So Wow.
1: That was an, an angle that I wasn't expecting. That's really good though. Yeah. In other words, we are trying to set an example to the culture that is not biblical. Sloppy agape. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah, that's a profane that is. Mm-hmm. <sighs> David, you got something?
4: <laughs> oh, sometimes this makes me think of um, just coming to church and, and being there and not really taking the time to get to know who Jesus is. And spending time in his presence in your own time. And I think we, it's easy for us to (coughs) fall into this mindset thinking, like, oh, I came to church every single Sunday, every Wednesday. I participated, but I didn't really take the time to get to know him. And it's putting on that appearance of, oh, I'm a I'm a good person because I come to church. Well, that's not what makes you good. It's the blood of Jesus that paid for your sins. But it's an easy trap to fall into because you're you're trying to just hold up appearances. Yeah. And that's why, like this, what John Verveer is putting forward is really. Strongly reminding in, in me and wanting to encourage everybody is like, you know, I, I need to I need to make sure that I am taking the time, you know, regularly to get to know him and not let not let the thing, the schedules and the busyness of the world interfere with my relationship with so. them. It's good.
1: Yeah. I think, and one, one of my thoughts that have come to mind is, I think there's, just to avoid condemnation on anyone feeling this, well, this is, the scenario is usually when we go to church. Okay, well, we don't go to church. We are the church, right? So when we go to a building and we gather with other believers, like here, sometimes we're struggling with whatever. Sleepiness, tiredness, maybe we're feeling irritable. Maybe our hormones are kind of out, kind of, out of whack or something, and we're just a little grumpy. Yeah, I'm not talking about me. I mean, I'm talking about me. <laughs> so, you know, you, you have your, your moments, but then you go in front of people, whether it's church, meetings, or even work or whatever, going to a family gathering, and you, you kind of put on a more positive face, right? You try to push through your emotions. You don't let your emotions, if they're all out of whack, kind of become your outward appearance to people, right? You don't project that, or at least you don't want to. I think there's a little bit of a difference between that and just being a plain out hypocrite. Like, I'm gonna go to church and I'm gonna put on, like, I got my fancy Bible, this guy named Rob Rufus, South African preacher, he said, the demons in South Africa, they manifest by people wiggling on the ground. The ones in America are way more sophisticated. They walk around with a Bible in their hand and they shout, Hallelujah! I'm just saying, that, that stands out because I'm not saying that anyone who waves a Bible and shouts Hallelujah you know, is demon-possessed, but he made a good point. We can put on this outward appearance of something that we're not, and I think most of us we, we can smell it when you see it. I make fun of, and I shouldn't, you know, because there are people, there there are people that probably are genuine when the presence of God, the anointing, comes on them. But some people's accent changes, and I, I joke about this often on a Sunday, not often, occasionally I'll joke about it. They'll they'll start preaching, and all of a sudden it's the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah! You know, they kind of, hey. They, they just get it. They take on an accent. It's almost like a southern flare. Or, or their voice starts quivering under the power of the Lord. Anyway, I, my bad. I make, I make fun of it only because I, I want to be real. Okay, I want the presence of God. I want the anointing. I want to see signs, miracles, and wonders. But I don't want to have to become this actor to help make it happen they're called hypocrites they're actors I'm repeating it so the recording will get what you're saying so exactly so anyway that's my my different differentiating between two types of projecting ourselves one is is to push through kind of your funk that you're feeling and there's there's levels of that. I think sometimes we need to just be honest with someone, but at the same time we shouldn't just come in, you know, with the Eeyore spirit. Oh, everything sucks. World's going to hell. You know. We want to rejoice with the truth. Does anyone want to throw some more thoughts into this before I move on? I don't mean to ramble so much. That'll probably, that'll be the one that I. Yeah, just that one. We good? Go on to the next one. We're doing good with time, like I said last week, and then all of a sudden you start screeching on the brakes. Okay, so the more we understand God's glory and greatness, the more we will experience holy fear. What steps can you start to take to expose yourself to God's glory and greatness? If you got some thoughts, comments, just pop your hand up, David. He's going to he's give you the. Things, right? Well, go ahead, give us give us your ten.
2: Well, you.
1: <laughs> Three out of ten, you know. That's good so so creation so exposing yourself to the wonders of creation recognizing the majesty of the creator who made it all that's 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 how I would sum that up and that can go very very deep and wide I mean, you could even go into learning some of the scientific things about different dimensions and I mean that'll blow your mind you could be a little kid like like Oscar's age, laying on your bed thinking, God, if if the universe doesn't ever end, how do I understand that? And even if it did end, if it stopped at one point, well, what's beyond that point? Anyway, so, anyone else got some thoughts?
5: For me, to expose myself to his glory would be to create an atmosphere of worship, you know, in private, and when I get around other people. Just exposes me to His glory. Yes, right? because He inhabits our praises, mm-hmm. and then we consume and we get
1: lit on fire by His fire. So, yeah. You're speaking my language now. <laughs> just as a as an additional note to that, that is one of the reasons why we, as a as a church, put a, a strong emphasis on worship, because exactly what you said. The Scripture says God inhabits the praises of His people. And we feel that as we worship corporately, the presence of God, it just seems to tangibly increase. Now, I don't think there's more of him or less of him in any place you could go to. I just believe that as we worship, he begins to manifest the tangible reality of his presence as we acknowledge him. We magnify the Lord, and he gets magnified. So, yeah, it's a good one. So creation speaks. Worshiping the Lord brings increases His glory. I mean, we don't have to do all ten.
4: We might well, be here I mean, for there's so many of them. Yeah. I mean, you can just keep going and going on this topic all by itself. That's a good preach. Like, I remember t- trying to think about this, and I was wondering, like, how? Because I never really slowed down to think about how big God is, or how powerful He is. But if you just take one thing, and it's like, well, OK. Like, he's bigger than planet Earth. He must be bigger than the sun. He must be brighter than the sun. It says he's brighter than the sun. He's more powerful than anything we could ever imagine. Like, just starting with the small things. Like, is he faster than this? The answer is yes is he more powerful than that? The answer is yes. Is he more creative? Yes. Did he is he more inno- innovative than anything that we've ever seen before? Does he have more wisdom than all of the all of the books on the on the planet right now? Yes. <laughs> like It helps. I mean, it helps me to go through. The, it seems like kind of baby steps exercise, but it's similar to what you're saying where you're acknowledging God is way bigger more powerful smarter and it helps you put in perspective like his greatness his absolute greatness like the universe can't contain him yeah and he's the same yesterday today and forever you know and then you start pairing it up with he is love and you know all of that and something similar to this like i was thinking on my way to work on sunday morning i was thinking god is my creator and my redeemer like i just kept saying it over and over again he's my creator and my redeemer which is kind of strange to think about cuz i'm like i'm trying to think of it like like if i was will go to a potter's wheel or whatever you know, I, I make pots for a living i'm making this pot I just made it. I created it. Like, I took it out of the mud, did all this cool stuff. Then I had to buy it back for myself. But not only that, like, I, I gave my most prized possession to buy back that thing. Like, that's what God did for us. Hmm. He created us. And then he sent his one and only son to redeem us.
1: Yeah. It's so many things about all of everything you guys are saying. It's just mind what it's mind blowing when we really take time and ponder, meditate on those things. I think Psalm 139 really speaks about that. You know, being fearfully and wonderfully made, such thoughts are just too much, too lofty for me to attain. Lofty. Okay, well, we're gonna go ahead and go on to the next one if you guys are good. You good with that? Okay, so we're gonna read 2 Corinthians 5, 10 through 11. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. So we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ, before which we all get to go before someday. So Paul states that our thoughts and motives will be revealed at the judgment seat of Christ, and that who we really are will be laid bare before God and others. Why is this a good thing for believers rather than something shameful or scary? Come on, you guys gotta help me out with this one. I need it. hear something good about this. <laughs> I'll just be like, you guys go first. And he's gonna be like, no, 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 no. I got to tell you who goes first. Why is this a good thing for believers? It's a little bit of a theological question here. There's some Bible answer to it if you want to go into that if you've if you've taken the time to really we got a hand over here. You want to give it to to auntie
5: I think it makes us aware of our motives now before we get there and take care of those motives like he was talking about motives Yeah. our motives are going to be revealed are they going to make us ashamed or are we going to be glad that the Lord has um, forgiven us of those because we have repented and that's the key word repent
1: okay that's good so so the thought then is, we should have a reason to think about standing before the Lord and not not expect it to be shameful or scary.
5: Because That's the worst thing you could ever hear from god instead of hearing him say well done thou good and faithful servant that's what i want to hear him say amen
1: that's what we all want to hear now this could go into all kinds of different theological descriptions of the difference between the judgment seat of christ which all believers will will go before and then the great white throne of judgment where jesus talks about the separation of the goats and the sheep which are two different events, but, but the one thing for Christians is we, we won't go to the judgment where we will be sent to fire, eternal fire, because we are the redeemed of the Lord, but it will be a judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, where our works will be judged. So Paul talks about that. What, what we've built upon this relationship with God is either wood, hay, and stubble, or costly stones and gems. And the fire, God's presence, is going to test our works so that when we stand before him, the works will be tested. What remains, that's the reward. The, I believe we're going to be able to lay that at his feet. And he, he does say, Paul says, that some will basically be escaping the flames, the, the smell of smoke still on you. <laughs> And then people like me would be like, as long as I'm in, you know, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a joker, okay, wit. That's my other name God gave me. So I have heard people say that they're like, I don't care, as long as I'm in. No, we we all want to, we we want to build. The the song we sang tonight, the final song, catch me up in your story, all my life for your glory. That that I I pray that's the cry of our hearts. That we would continuously pursue a life laid down, a life of of offering ourselves to him, of being a living sacrifice, being caught up in his purpose and plan for our lives, no matter what you do. I'm not a full-time pulpit preacher with a church of a thousand where this is my job, and you would expect that because that's what you would hope is projected from the pulpit preacher. I'm just a I'm just a child of God who delivers mail for money and tries to do his best to take care of his wife and kids and love Jesus in front of people while I worship and use whatever gifts God has given me to to bring honor to the name of Jesus and to bless people so that they will go closer to him.
5: Don't say just.
1: Okay. Just.
5: Because you're more than a conqueror. Regardless
1: of I'm not life. just a conqueror, I'm more than... <laughs> more than a conqueror. Thank you. Thank you, Aunt Sharon, for clarifying that. Okay, here we go. This is getting good.
3: I think it's a good thing because it should help us to focus on what the Lord has called each one of us to steward, that not... Like being careful to judge each other based on what we think other people should or shouldn't be doing. Mm. That's good. This is good because we don't have to do what we even think we should be doing. We only need to do what the Father has called us to do, and anything more than that—that's good. That's gonna be what's burnt up, right? Yeah. So this this should be a relief for us that no matter what the culture says or even what other believers, what it looks like, if we're paying attention, if we're in that secret place with the Lord from like the previous question, and we're doing what he says to do, we don't have to have fear when we go before him, even if it wasn't super grand on earth from our perspective. So I think that's kind of a, a burden lightener because his burden is light so we don't have to add more things.
1: So that's what I think is good for that. Yeah, it's good. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood, the power of the cross. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. Yeah. That God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself not counting men's sins against them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He is our righteousness. He is our, our atonement. He is our propitiation for our sin. Now that, now that we are saved and redeemed, the, the, the heart that we always want to pray and go after is that we would, we would just want to, to build on that foundation a life that represents him well and honors him. We don't want to be those that bring people to curse the name of God because of us, right? Romans talks about that It's because of some believers, some of their hypocrisy that people curse God. And we hear it all the time. So. That was the end of the first five questions. Now we're going to look at, this is our response time. So it's going a little bit late. We did start a little late. And it wasn't, we weren't intentionally doing it. We we're just trying to catch up a little bit and visit so we're going to read, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Genesis 3, 8 through 13. And then we're just going to have kind of a, a focus, focal point at the end here to kind of pray into. And then if, if you have the uh, ability to, well, I'm going to say we won't go into that final worship. So we'll just, we'll end the evening with some prayer because it's already eight, almost 840. So Genesis 3, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called out to Adam and said to him, Where are you? <laughs> Reminds me of the story with the children hiding behind the curtains. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, turn the table here, blame shifting, that woman, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So focus on the questions that God was asking Adam and Eve. What have you done? Who told you? And what voice are you listening to? So focus on the questions that God asked Adam and Eve. What can we learn about God from this conversation? And how can you learn about the fear of God? Anyone want to give some? It's kind of like one more question even though it's a different section called Respond. Um, anyone want to give any input?
2: You got it. <laughs> God wants us to fess up. You know, it's like there it is. you look at a child, they got chocolate all over their face, and you're saying, <laughs> asking them no, I didn't have any, you know, it's obvious, and so God wants to hear us tell him that we realize that we've done wrong, and the sooner yeah. we do it, the better, that's true, and we can go from there, and, and start oh, to gain trust. <laughs>
1: That's good. That was my thought, too, was, was repentance, just being quick to confess instead of trying to excuse our behavior. And, and it includes us being willing to listen to God, to, to be in His presence and want to hear what He's asking us, what He's saying to us. Like, we do this often at Legacy City Church. We'll pray together as a church. will Ask, ask the Lord together, Father God, is there anyone I need to forgive? And then we'll all just give everyone their time. And then when that person comes to mind, we just say, Father God, together, you know, I choose to forgive this person and I release them from any offense. So we, we, it's, it's about coming into that place of asking God, inviting God into our lives in a greater way to to be able to hear what he has to say to allow him to inspect to search our hearts search me oh God try my heart see if there's any offensive way in me right that's what David's prayed in in Psalm 51 Uh that must mean it's time to wrap it up yes and then yeah confess just acknowledge my sin, you know, I think it's David in that same psalm, actually. Um, I said, I will confess my sins before the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my iniquity. Something like that. I might be messing up the scriptures, but it's, it's there that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He just wants us to, to fess up, just admit it. It's one of the things with being a parent. You're like, okay, I know you did something to hurt your sister. She's crying in the other room. And I think Adriana, you can relate to this. like i know your little sister's crying in the other room and i know you did something why don't you tell me and i didn't do anything no there's hold strong on that one yeah we we went through that as parents and i'm like it's not like i'm gonna beat the tar out of you if you if you confess if actually you admit to what you did then i can help you connect your heart back to your sibling and make it right with them. My my goal is not to see how hard I can whack you, it's to bring reconciliation between siblings. So she's gonna pop a question over here, I'll run it over here.
3: No no, that's okay. I don't know if I'm explaining it right. But I don't like how my voice sounds on this, but um, I feel like when we choose not to um, be vulnerable with god and we do hold those things inside, <laughs> um, it can actually kind of pull us apart from him i guess like we feel more distant and yeah. so i think that um, he longs for intimacy with us and so when we're honest and vulnerable with those things then uh, we grow closer to him in our relationship
1: awesome that's good <laughs> that's I'm glad you shared that, in spite of what you're wrestling with right now. That's, that was good. I think I'm going to go ahead and pause this, because we're, I think we're at the end here. So there's one last little thing on the this, this slide. Oh, yeah. So this, this passage, passage that we just read from Genesis, Adam and Eve, blame shifting, whatnot, this passage records the first instance of people trying to hide their sin from an all-knowing God. So just something for us to think about. What are some of the ways that people try to hide their actions and attitudes from God today? He can't see us. He can't see us. There's no God. If there was, you know, we yeah, we try to try to black out the reality of God's presence, omnipresent, or that he doesn't really care. I mean, if you guys wanted to give some info, I'll I'll bring this over. That's that was a pretty easy one. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if you guys are interested in this. So from session one last week, I did create a website with all of the lessons, lessons one, two, and three for last this last week. I don't know if I should ask for a show of hands. If you didn't, if you didn't go to it and you're interested, because I didn't get this out to everyone, I only shared it on our, our private signal group thing. I don't know if you guys had the ch- chance to do it. I didn't even really go over them. So to be honest, I didn't go over them either. But I did all the work to make it look nice and pretty and fancy on the interwebs. Um, so yeah, you can take a screenshot of that if you want. It's just basically, it's Awe of God LCC. And the our domain is my strikingly So I'll go ahead and do session uh, two's three-day lesson set. I'll figure out how it's all going to stack there because it's going to... I'll make it work. It's just a little bit of work. I got to do screenshots and cropping and lightning, but it's not not a big deal. So with that said, you guys want to stand up and we'll pray. We'll just kind of... Just pray the blessing of the Lord over this evening, everything we talked about. She's a baby. Yeah, she's a baby. (laughs) So, you know, he says in the booklet here, there is a a specific prayer target. He said, um, ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of any ways you have tried to hide your sins from God and pray that you would continue to better understand his holiness so that you can grow in your experience of holy fear. So, yeah, Lord, we just, we're inviting you tonight, Holy Spirit, that you would break out in our personal lives, in our hearts. Lord, we believe, we know that you dwell inside of us, that you have sealed us for for heaven, you have sealed our adoption, by actually coming to live inside of our physical bodies, that you have joined your Holy Spirit with our spirit, man or woman, causing us to be born again. But God, I pray that you would give us a greater um, revelation, a, a greater awareness of your presence in us, that we would become more aware of you and your holiness and that we would fall deeper in love and aware of the truth of your word, that the word of God would direct our steps, that that the word of God would renew the way we think and see and walk out life. As the psalmist says, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. God, let your word direct our steps. Would Would you cause your word, Holy Spirit, to come alive in our hearts, that we wouldn't sin against you, that we would hide your word in our hearts, that we would stow away truth like treasure within us, that we wouldn't dishonor you. And Holy Spirit, where we've grieved you, where we've quenched your flame, we just ask you tonight, would you set us on fire again as we present ourselves to you as a living sacrifice this evening, as we offer all that we are yielding ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Would you light us on fire with passion for you, passion for the name of Jesus, that your, your desires would break in on our affections, our desires, that your will would break in on our will, and we would yield to you. Most high God, holy God, Yeah, just lift up your heart tonight as we close. Just, we lift up our hearts to you, Lord. We worship you. God, we just declare our our gratitude and our love for your patience and kindness. And we do want to go deeper with you. We want to know your presence more. God, we want to experience deeper levels, measures of your glory. But we understand that with that, there is a cost. that you are asking for us to ascend the hill of the Lord with clean hands and pure hearts. God, we know that your blood has made us clean, that your blood has made us holy. But at the same time, you're calling us to step into that and work it out, to work out that great salvation that was a gift, to work it out with fear and trembling, that we would grow in holiness. That we would cooperate with you, Holy Spirit, as you lead us. That we would honor you in everything we do, in Jesus' name.